This audio is brought to you by Muslim Central. Please consider donating to help cover our running costs and future projects by visiting www.muslimcentral.com forward slash donate. Assalamu alaikum. That's definitely a very nice welcome. Thank you. A'udhu billahi minash shaitan ar-rajim. Bismillahir rahmanir rahim. Wassalatu wassalamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Rabbi shrah li sadri wa yassir li amri wa ahlul 'uqdatam min lisani yafqahu qawli. Um so ending the conference today, I want to begin by saying uh thank you to everyone who's put in a lot of effort into this conference. Uh the people who work behind the scenes. Uh we we couldn't have done this without you. Jazakallah khair to all of you. I also want to say what a pleasure it was to meet many of you. I got the chance, alhamdulillah, um, after the last lecture to meet a lot of you. And I just want to say there is a really strong, uh, deep sense of um, warmth coming from your community. And I really, really appreciate that. Uh, I love communities like that with a lot of... Uh, depth and warmth and and passion alhamdulillah i felt that from your community so i want to thank you for that making me feel uh welcome here although i'm from quite far away in the other side of the continent in southern california that's not where i'm from but where i'm living right now um i want to end this this conference talking about a topic that relates to everyone uh, everyone in this room can relate to what i'm about to talk about and that is the topic of the storms that we face in our lives. We all face weather. As you know, this morning I was delayed due to weather. And you know, when I went up to the woman uh, at the customer service and I was asking her, you know, what I can do, uh, I had to retrieve my bag and then take, you know, uh, ground transportation. It was it was a bit complicated. And her answer was, you know, we really can't predict it. It's weather. And the thing about weather is no matter how powerful you are, how sophisticated you are, uh, no matter how rich you are, you cannot control the weather. And all the technology in the world that they've created cannot change the weather. They cannot affect the weather by one degree. They can't make it less foggy just because they want to take off the, you know, they want the planes to take off. We cannot control the weather. And that's what happens in our lives. We can't always control the kinds of challenges that we're faced with. We can't always control who's in office. You know, we are your, your, um, neighbors down south. We don't have the greatest person in office just now, you know. Uh, maybe you guys do. You're very lucky. But we don't. And and we can't always control these things. We can't always control who's in power. We can't control some of the things that we're faced with in our lives. We can't always control who we lose or what we lose or what comes our way. But let me ask you this question. Right now outside, it's quite cold. You know, and there's other places in the world where it's quite hot. Yeah. You can't control that it's cold. You can't say, you know what, it's zero degrees, it's negative one. Uh, I want it to be about 10 degrees higher. So you just, you know, you can, you just decide that. You can't do that. But what can you do when it's cold outside? Exactly. You can put on a coat. You can put on clothing to protect you from the weather. And that's how it works spiritually and psychologically. That we, we as human beings, we go through storms in life. And that's just an inevitable part of dunya. That's 
part of the reality of this life. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us, وَلَنَبْلُوَنَّكُمْ بِشَيْءٍ مِنَ الْخَوْفِ وَالْجُوعِ وَنَقَصٍ مِنَ الْأَمْوَالِ وَالْأَنفُسِ وَالثَّمَرَاتِ وَبَشِّرُ الصَّابِرِينَ So Allah is telling us, He's, he's confirming that verily, indeed, definitely you will be tested of something of fear. That anxiety and fear are going to be one of the tests in this life. We are going to have to feel afraid sometimes. Hunger. Yes, there's going to be times when you're not going to have what you need. Or you're going to want more than you can actually get. Hunger. Not just in food, but in anything. Where you need more than you can actually get. وَنَقَصٍ مِنَ الْأَمْوَالِ وَالْأَنفُسِ وَالثَّمَرَاتِ And loss in wealth, in lo- loss in, in the people in our lives, and then loss in the fruits of our toil. So, you know, I don't typically speak to an audience full of farmers, right? So, does that mean this ayah doesn't apply to us? Thamarat. نَقَصٍ مِنَ الْأَمْوَالِ وَالْأَنفُسِ وَالثَّمَرَاتِ yeah, we may not be farmers. We may not go and toil the land and till the land and, and plant the seeds. And, but have you ever in your life put in effort and not seen results? Has that ever happened? Have you ever studied really hard for an exam and you didn't do very well? Or tried really hard in a relationship and it still didn't work out? Or maybe tried very, very hard to please someone and just didn't work, couldn't please them? These kinds of things. Have we ever put in effort and not seen results? And the answer is yes. This is one of the tests that Allah tells us, that we're going to have loss in this life, and we're going to have some amount of loss as part of the tests of this life. Loss of wealth, loss of people, and loss of the fruits of our toil. Results. We're not always going to see the results that we want, even when we put in a lot of effort. And then after saying all of that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَبَشِّرُ الصَّابِرِينَ he says, give glad tidings to those who have sabr. Now this word sabr has been very misunderstood. And I think this concept has even been abused in some cases. For example, a lot of people believe that sabr means do nothing. A lot of people believe that sabr means to be passive. A lot of people believe that sabr is to turn the other cheek when you're being mistreated or when you're being abused or when you're seeing mistreatment or when you're seeing abuse. But the reality is that's not what sabr means. And in fact, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and His Messenger teach us that we're not supposed to be passive. Islam is not a passive religion. Islam is an active religion. Islam is a religion about taking action. So for example, the Prophet ﷺ says, if you see something wrong, you should try to change it. He doesn't say you should just turn the other cheek. He doesn't say you should be passive. He says you should try to change it with your hand. And if you cannot change it with your hand, then with your tongue, to speak out against it. And if you cannot then at least hate it in your heart. And this is the weakest of iman. So what he's done is he has linked iman with taking action against injustice, against seeing something that is wrong. And whether that wrong is happening to yourself, or to your children, or to your family, or overseas, or down the street, 
Whether that, wherever that wrong is happening, we are told to take action against it. And so, so, sabr doesn't mean I do nothing. When Hajar was stuck in a very difficult situation, she was in the middle of a desert with a baby, no one around, no water, nothing. No one around, right? It wasn't like now, folks. It was just desert. What did she do when she was in that situation? Did she not have trust in Allah? In fact, she did have trust in Allah. She called out to her husband, Ibrahim a.s. Is it God? Is it Allah who told you to bring us here? And he confirmed that it was. And only then did she feel a sense of ease. She felt trust that if Allah told you to take us here, we'll be okay. But now when she had that sabr and that tawakkul, that trust in Allah, did she do nothing? Did she sit down? Did she take a nap? <laughs> Wait for water to come from the sky? No. In fact, she got up and she did something. She not only walked, she didn't just walk. And you know what? She didn't have white marble under her feet like we do now. Okay? She ran. Sa'i, this process that she did between Safa and Marwa was something so difficult that it was called sa'i. Sa'i means to strive. In the Arabic language, sa'i means to strive. She didn't just walk, she ran between Safa and Marwa. And she did not just do it once. She did it once, she looked, she tried Safa, nothing. She ran to Marwa, she looked, nothing. And at this point, a lot of us in her position, even if we tried but what happens when we try something once and it fails? What do we do at that point, usually? We give up. Oh, I already tried that. It didn't work. So now I'm going to give up. Now I'm going to become passive. But she didn't. She went again to Safa. And again, keep in mind, there's no white marble under her feet. There's no cover over her head like we have now. And we have trouble doing it now. It's hard work. It's hard to, to, to walk in her footsteps, let alone run in her footsteps in the heat on the burning sand. And you're dehydrated, like next to die, you know, you're close to death. She ran again to Safa and again looked for any kind of sign of help. And she found nothing. But did she give up? Again, she did not give up. She ran again to Marwa, looked again. Now at this point, I want you to just imagine you're in a situation like that, which is looks completely impossible, right? You're not giving up. You're not being passive. You are striving. And not only are you striving, but you're not giving up hope. You are not giving up hope, even though at this point she's tried Safa twice and Marwa twice. But she still doesn't give up. She goes again to Safa, again to Marwa. It blows my mind the amount of hope and determination she had to have. To not give up. Because I know myself, and, and many of us, we try something once, we give up if it doesn't work. We try it twice, we definitely give up if it doesn't work. But three times, come on now, she does it seven times. Seven times she never gives up. Sabr is not a passive concept. Sabr is also to be pers- to persevere. It's to be, to be persistent and to persevere. It requires sabr, to be able to fast, to 
be able to get up and pray Fajr on time every single day. These are active words. It requires sabr to fight against injustice. It requires sabr to have hope even in impossible situations and to continue to work and to continue to try. That requires a lot of sabr and a lot of hope. And so when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, وَبَشِّرُ الصَّابِرِينَ He's not just, He's not telling us as many, unfortunately, many of our teachers may say that just do nothing and have sabr. No. Sabr is a very deep and active term. وَبَشِّرُ الصَّابِرِينَ الَّذِينَ إِذَا أَصَابَتْهُمْ مُصِيبَةٌ قَالُوا إِنَّ لِلَّهِ وَإِنَّ إِلَيْهِ رَاجِعُونَ Those who when a calamity strikes them, they respond with إِنَّ لِلَّهِ Indeed we belong to Allah وَإِنَّ إِلَيْهِ رَاجِعُونَ And indeed to Him we will all return. And what is this statement? Many people think it's just a statement of the tongue. And you just say it when someone dies, right? And it's just something you say. إِنَّ لِلَّهِ وَإِنَّ إِلَيْهِ رَاجِعُونَ is not just a statement. It's a complete worldview. It's the way you actually see and respond to the world. And the only way that you can have this type of response is if you incorporate into the depth of your heart the first half, which is إِنَّ لِلَّهِ إِنَّ لِلَّهِ means everything. Everything. So in parentheses, me, myself, my abilities, my money, my children, my health, my, my, my spouse, every single thing that I have or that I was given actually belongs to God. That's what inna lillahi means. Inna lillahi means I'm not the owner, He is. You guys, that's very deep because let me give you guys an example. So say that I'm really, really generous. I let you borrow my car. Because you know what? It's going to help you. And I let you keep it. Years go by. Five years, ten years go by. And you're still using my car. And that's fine. I'm letting you use it. But now imagine that during that period of time, over that decade, you got amnesia. And you forgot who it belonged to. Right? And somehow along the line, you forgot it was my car and you thought it was your car. Alright? So now what happens after 10 years when I come to take it back? What's your response? How could you do this to me? Right? How could you take my car? Wait, whose car is it? It was mine. But you forgot. And so your response is anger. You're angry. How dare you? How dare I take your car, right? How could you do this to me? Does this sound familiar of how we respond to, to God sometimes, to Allah sometimes? When He takes things, when He tests us, right? How could you do this to me? It's not fair. But see, you're responding that way because you forgot who it belongs to. You get it? You forgot who the car belongs to. But now imagine that you remembered that it's actually my car. I own it. I bought it. The title's in my name. And you're just borrowing it. Okay? Now when I come to take it back, you might be sad to part with the car because it was very useful to you. 
Maybe you got attached to it. But what is your response when I come to take it back? Your response is different. Your response is, it belongs to you, yeah, Yasmin, and to you it returns. You understand? Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi raji'un. This response that Allah describes, that the believers are those who respond like this, when the calamity strikes them, can only happen if you internalize the first half, if you internalize the fact that inna lillahi, that everything actually belongs to Allah. It's only possible if we don't have this collective amnesia. And we remember that in fact our money belongs to Allah. And our abilities belong to Allah. And our health belong to Allah. And our children and our spouse belong to Allah. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala never to test us in these things. We should never ever act sort of tough with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know what I mean? Like, you know Allah, my iman is so high. I love you so much. You can test me. Just watch. No. No. Absolutely not. We never ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to test us. We never, we never say, look at me, I got this, I can handle it. Never. We always ask Allah for afu and afiyah. Allah and His Messenger tell us to ask for ease. This is very important. One of the mistakes people make on the spiritual path is they think they're tough guys. You know what I mean? And, and, and almost everyone at some point has made this mistake. Where they sort of make a lot of claims. You know what I mean? Like, oh, you know, even something as, you know, there's a, there may be a good intention behind it, but claims like, the only thing I need is Allah. Well, that's, that's, that's a heavy statement. That's a heavy claim. And if you were tested in that claim, you know, look at Ayyub alayhi salam when he was tested. And he's a prophet. He had everything taken one by one from him. You know, and he's a prophet and eventually he's calling out to Allah, that indeed difficulty has befallen me and you are the most merciful of the merciful. Every single prophet, and these were the super, these are like the superheroes of humans. The superheroes of mankind. And they always asked for help. So we should be very, very careful not to be too, too arrogant. In the sense, it's sort of an arrogance. Where we think, oh, but I can handle it. Another mistake we make, I'll tell you what the other mistake, be, be careful of these mistakes. Is that when we see another person going through a difficulty, and we judge them, maybe they're suffering a lot. And maybe we judge them and we judge how they're responding and almost think that we would respond better than them. You know what I mean? Well, what's wrong with that? But why don't they just get over it? Right? Why can't they be more patient? Very judgmental. And so when we judge another person in a situation, we don't want to be tested. So we have to be very careful not to have these kinds of, and they may come from a, from a sincere place that I am you know, I feel I'm, I'm pumped. I've got a iman high, you know. But then sometimes it can make us arrogant. And it can make us look down on others. 
be careful of ever doing that because if you yourself are tested, you may not be able to handle it. So it's very important that we never ask for tests, that we always ask for ease, afu and afiyah. These are one of the, you know, I gave you guys a prescription in my last talk. And I want to remind you of that prescription now. This is a life-saving prescription. I said, salah is your oxygen. Afkar is like medicine. I told you to download my dua app and do your morning, evening, and, and nighttime duas religiously, consistently. That is medicine. And then the Qur'an, right? What that does, you'll notice that even within the adhkar of morning and evening, there's a dua that you're asking Allah, Allah inna nas'aluka al-'afwa al-'afiyah. في الدنيا والآخرة الله من يسألك العفو والعافية في ديني ودنياي وأهلي ومالي. You're asking Allah for عفو وعافية. What does that mean? It's forgiveness and safety and ease. عافية is a very big term. The Prophet ﷺ told us to ask for this, and it's essentially safety and ease. We have this weird kind of thinking that sometimes we think the harder something is the better, <laughs> right? If you want to be religious, you got to suffer, you know? And and if you have like a, a, a two choices in the deen, always choose the harder one because that's just better. Where the Prophet ﷺ did the opposite. If he had two choices, he would choose the easier one. And he told us to ask for ease. He, he told one of the companions, he advised him after every single salah, Allahumma a'inni ala dhikrika wa shukrika wa husn ibadatik. This is something we're told to say after every salah. Allahumma a'inni ala dhikrika wa shukrika wa husn ibadatik. Oh Allah, make it easy for me. Make it easy for me for these three things. Dhikrika, your, your remembrance. Your gr- gratitude, thankfulness to you and the best of your worship. We are asking for ease and we are told to ask for ease. I will tell you one of the mistakes that people make also and this is a bit subtle, is instead of asking for ease, people only ask for sabr. This is deep. Okay? People only ask for sabr instead of asking also for ease. So, for example, for example, something difficult has befallen them. Something's hit them. A calamity has has struck them. Right? So a lot of people will ask, Ya Allah, give me the ability to bear this. Great. So then it continues. Give me the ability to bear this. And even give me sabr. Can I tell you what sabr is? Sabr is like a spiritual muscle. Okay? If you go to a personal trainer and you say, Yo, personal trainer, give, make me strong. What do you think they're going to do? Are they going to take off the weight or put it on? You get it? See, the process of becoming, the process of building spiritual muscle isn't easy. You know? It's basically like you're asking God, make me an Olympic athlete who can hold, who can carry 500 pounds. Well, guess, guess about, guess how you get there. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? There's a process to get there. But you know what? You can ask for something else. You can actually ask for ease. You can ask that the weight is taken off. And that doesn't mean you're failing the test. Every prophet asked for help. 
Every prophet asked for help. Nuh alayhi salam, 950 years. You know, we do something for 950 minutes, we give up. Right? These people are crazy. You know what I'm saying? They were crazy. They weren't listening to him. They're plugging their ears. They're just mocking him. Not for 950 minutes, hours, days, but this is years. And after all of that, he calls out to Allah, أَنِّي مَغْلُوبٌ فَانْتَصِرٌ He said, I am overtaken. Give me victory. Help me. La ilaha illa anta subhanaka inni kuntu min al-zalimeen. Yunus alayhi salam. Study the, the du'as of the prophets and they are like mind-blowing. They're so powerful. But they're all asking for help. They never said, I got this. I'm, I'm a tough guy. I can handle it. You know what I mean? But we do that. We think we can handle it on our own. And even when we ask Allah, we're not asking for ease and help. We're asking, Ya Allah, just, just make me strong. But that's the thing. Yes, Allah can make you strong. Guess what? But the process of being strong is difficult. And it's okay to ask Allah for ease. Because you know what? There is nothing, absolutely nothing wrong with you. In fact, we're supposed to humble ourselves and, and ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to open for us and to give us ease. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَبَشِّرُ الصَّابِرِينَ الَّذِينَ إِذَا أَصَابَتْهُ مُصِيبَةٌ قَالُوا إِنَّ لِلَّهِ وَإِنَّ إِلَيْهِ رَجْعُونَ They respond in this way of indeed we belong to Allah and to Allah we return. Now this is a very, very difficult thing to do. And it's easy to talk about it while we're sitting. But how do we actually translate it into action? That when we are facing things in our lives, that we respond properly to them. I'll tell you what it is. Have any of you ever run a marathon? Do you know anyone who's ever run a marathon? Perhaps. Okay. Did that person who ran the marathon wake up one day and say, I want to run a marathon tomorrow and we'll go and run a marathon? No. What did they have to do for months? Train. You have to train for months consistently to be able to, to even just get to the point where you can run a marathon or even half a marathon for that matter. Okay. You have to train to be able to do that. Now, Spiritually, it's the same thing. Responding to difficulty and, and being able to have the resilience to handle life, to handle what life throws at you, to handle the weather. You can't just wake up one day and say, oh, I'm going to be able to do this. It requires training. It requires training. And it's training that you have to do every single day. And it's spiritual training. You can't be in a marathon and be able to run it unless you've been training ahead of time. So when I gave you the example of the weather, how many of you know the, I've used this, I've talked about this previously. How many of you know the story of the three little pigs? <coughs> you had deprived childhood, so I'm sorry. Um, <coughs> the three little pigs, guys. So there's these three pigs. I know, haram. <laughs> Haram. It's haram to eat them, but um, we, can, we can talk about them. Um, so three little pigs. The first pig is super lazy, right? Because he's lazy, he doesn't want to put in the effort 
and the time to build a strong home. So he makes his home out of straw. It was easy, quick, but it's very weak. The second one's also lazy, not quite as lazy. He makes his house out of twigs. Again, very weak. Then the third one puts in the time and the effort to build a strong foundation, to build a strong house out of brick. So what then happens? The big bad wolf comes around and he huffs and he puffs. Some of you had a childhood, alhamdulillah. Just kidding. Totally kidding, guys. Um, he huffs and he puffs and he blows the first house down. Why? Because it was very weak. And then the second one comes... He comes to the second house, he huffs and he puffs and he blows the second one down. But then he gets to the third one and he does the same thing. He huffs and he puffs, but he can't blow it down. So here's what happens in life, right? We have various kinds of big bad wolves in our life. They come in different forms. Sometimes they're people in our lives. Sometimes it's political. We have... You know, political leaders, huff and puff, right? Sometimes we have financial big bad wolves, health problems, whatever they are. They come and they huff and they puff and they try to blow our house down. And the question becomes, how strong is your house? Because we can't control the wolf sometimes, right? Just like you can't control the fog and you can't control the rain and you can't control the temperature, but what you can control is what you're wearing when it comes. What what kind of shelter you have. What does it mean to build a solid foundation? A solid house out of brick. That thing that I gave you, that prescription I gave you, that three parts, everyone remember it? Every time you do that, that's daily training. Every time you do that, you're praying. Every time you pray, every time you do your asqar, every time you read the Qur'an, you are putting a brick in your house. So now what happens is you've created a very solid house. And now when the big bad wolf comes, as he will, as he will, but in different forms, but he always comes. Yeah, shaitan also comes. Yeah, tests will come. Sometimes people, they're, they, they, they play that role in our lives. They shake us. And when that happens, the one who built the solid house out of brick will not be destroyed by the big bad wolf. This is the reason we become destroyed by our hardships and our calamities and our tests. It's because we are in a house made of straw. Or out of twig. It's not solid. It's not strong. There isn't a strong foundation. And that's because we haven't done the training. You understand? We haven't built the house. Our house is weak and flimsy. And so any wind, any blow, and it just knocks it down. And then it destroys us internally. It destroys us mentally and psychologically and emotionally and spiritually. It destroys us. Allah and His Messenger gave us a prescription, but we just don't follow it, of how to do something amazing, and that is to be resilient. Actually, the human being has an amazing ability of resilience. If you look at some of people's lives, I know people, like, their lives, I can't even imagine 
the kinds of things that they've been through. But the amount of resilience that they've shown to me is miraculous. I'll give you just two examples. And the reason I'm, I give and I share these examples is because they're real stories. And they're not stories of people who lived 1,400 years ago or 2,000 years ago or, or, or 20,000 years ago. It's actually happening now. These are people I know now who are alive now, regular people. And, and this is a sign for us. The first is a friend of mine. And uh, so a while ago when her kids were very young, she, her first daughter, around the time she was three, she got a call from her school or from her teacher, and her teacher told her that her daughter just suddenly stopped speaking, like she wasn't talking anymore. And she didn't know why. So it was kind of strange. She took her to the doctor. They did some tests. And eventually they found out. They said, you know, ma'am, your daughter, she has a rare genetic disorder. And it's called MPS. And this disorder will make your daughter slowly throughout the years lose all her faculties little by little until she dies. And I'm sorry we don't have a cure. And don't expect that usually they will live past age 13. But until she's 13, you're going to have to watch her deteriorate, your daughter. And then a few years later, her second daughter was tested, and she also was told that your daughter, your second daughter has MPS. And then she had a third daughter, and her third daughter also had MPS. So she has three daughters with MPS, and then she has a son who had severe autism. Okay? So now she has four children, and over the years, and I, and I witnessed this, I met her when her children were older, and I saw them once they had reached their teen years. And I visited her, and over the years I visited her home. I cannot describe to you how this woman lived. Like literally she didn't sleep. She was, it was like she did the job of like seven nurses. Her home was like a hospital. There was a room, her, all three daughters completely lost the ability to walk, even sit up on their own. A lot of the time they were on breathing machines. She'd have to suction them just so that they could not choke on their saliva because they, they lost the ability to swallow. That's actually what where she was. And her son, who was autistic, he actually, of all her struggles, she said that the biggest struggle was was this was was her son because no matter what they would do they would put all these special locks on the door he would crack the code and he would just wander off and 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 he would disappear and the police would bring him back and this was like no matter what they did they couldn't lock the door in a code that he couldn't break so this woman didn't sleep like literally she did not sleep day and night she was taking care of her her children now, why I tell her story, and by the way, now two of her daughters have passed away. Okay, and they died, and they lived longer than I think any, almost anyone with MPS. Her oldest died, lived, I think, until she was 19. This is like unheard of. But she, she took care of these children in a way that no one could even imagine. If she gets a nurse, they can't handle it. 
what she does, what one woman does for all of them. And the reason I tell this story is it is ex- not because it's tragic, but because of something that this woman said to me years ago when I met her, is that she described her life and she said, I am drowning in gratitude. I just explained to you her life, her trial, and yet she said, I'm drowning in gratitude. So how does something like that happen? How does a miracle like that happen? And I am telling you, that is the power of Iman. Wallahi, that's the power of Iman. Faith. I saw it in front of my eyes. It's not just a story that you heard in the books. I, I witnessed it. This is a real woman lives in New Jersey and she's on Facebook. She's a real person. And she said, I'm drowning in gratitude. To be able to not only survive such a trial, but to continue to be grateful, that to me is a sign of God. Absolutely a sign of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The second story that I want to share is a story about a man who used to be my old principal. So talking like over a decade ago, I used to teach at an Islamic school. And he was the principal. He was an older gentleman from Thailand. And what happened is I, I taught at the school for about two years and then I moved. And I hadn't kept in touch with the principal. I hadn't seen him or anything. So recently, uh, a few months ago in fact, I went to a conference and it just so happened that he had moved to that city. So I saw him after 10 years. And at this point, he's older, he's, he's probably in his 70s, he's, he's, he's retiring actually this year. So I found out that some things had happened to him over these last 10 years. One, one of the things that happened is his wife, his beloved wife, she had gotten cancer and she had passed away. May Allah have mercy on her soul. And something else happened. Shortly after the loss of his wife, his son, who was only around 21 years old, was delivering pizzas. And one of the people that he was delivering pizzas to, or someone that he met uh, while he was delivering pizzas, slaughtered him. Just cut his neck. Just like that. Just killed him like that. So this man gets a call at 3 o'clock in the morning. And the call is basically, your son is gone. Just like that. No warning, nothing. That's what I call a blow. That's a blow. Your son is gone. Allahumma So I was, and I heard this, it really shook me. And then I sat down and I, and I talked to him. And I asked him, I need you to tell me how you, how you coped with that. I need you to teach me how you coped with that. And he told me what happened. He said that when he got the call, you know, obviously he was in shock. And he said he started to sort of pace around the room and said, Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi raja'un and trying to process what had happened. And, and he's trying to process this. But what really absolutely floored me, and in fact, it recently became a news story. Some of you may have seen. Is that he says to me, when, I'm, when I was talking to him, he says to me, I tried everything to meet with his killer. And I said, why? Why do you want to meet with his killer? He said, for two years now, I have been trying to have a meeting with his killer. 
And his killer is in maximum security jail. You can't meet, like, he couldn't. The, the lawyers are like, you can't. And he said, please, just make an exception and allow me to meet with him. And I asked him, why? Why do you want to meet with the, with the killer? And he said, because I want to teach him. I want to give him. I want to forgive him. I want to forgive him. And then I want him, watch this. He said, I want to forgive him. And then I want him to be in the same place with Salahuddin, my son. So this isn't like a fairy tale. This is like a real person now, right? A principal of a school. Can you imagine that? The ability to do that. He, he said, I want to forgive him. And I want him to be in the same place with my son. I want him to not only do, I want to forgive him, but I want him to be forgiven by God. And I want him to enter paradise with my son. That's what he said. And that was the reason why he wanted to meet with him. He wanted to forgive him. And give him the truth, the message, so that he could be forgiven. They actually, if you go and you search it up, they made a news story out of it. He finally got to meet him in court, literally like a week or a week and a half ago. And he went and he hugged the killer. This is all on tape. He finally got to meet with him in court. He hugged him and he said on behalf of... On behalf of me and my late wife, I forgive you for what you've done. Why I tell this story is because it's a powerful testament to the power of Iman. That's it. These kinds of things are absolutely impossible without Iman. This stuff doesn't happen. This is stuff of myths, right, and fairy tales. Except with Iman. That's the only way something like this can be possible. To have this type of response, this type of resilience... In, in trials that I couldn't even imagine. And I would pray every day to be saved from, to be protected from. But this is the response. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in the Quran, أَمْ حَسِبْتُمْ أَن تَدْخُلُ الْجَنَّةَ وَلَمَّا يَأْتِكُمْ مَثَلُ الَّذِينَ خَلَوْا مِنْ قَبْلِكُمْ مَسَّتْهُمُ الْبَأْسَاءُ وَالضَّرَّاءُ وَزُلْزِلُوا حَتَّى يَقُولَ الرَّسُولُ وَالَّذِينَ آمَنُوا مَعَهُ مَتَى نَصْرُ اللَّهُ do you think that you'll enter paradise without going through that which those who came before you went through? They went through difficulty and adversity and they were shaken. They were so shaken that even the messengers and those with the messengers were calling out and asking, when will the help of God come? Mata Nasrullah. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ends this ayah by reminding us, Indeed, the help of Allah is near. Aquni qawli hadha wa astaghfirullahi wa lakum inna ghafurun rahim. Subhanakallahu bihamdak. Ashhadu an la ilaha illa ant astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk. Wassalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.